Regardless of what platform you're joining us on, regardless of what day of the week, we hope that you are blessed. Hey, I want to welcome university students that are back in town. Come on, give them a hand. Let's say, grateful that you're back. If you are visiting Rev City for the first time, man, we hope you feel welcome, inspired, encouraged. We hope you sense the presence of the Lord and his love for you. And whether you're here in Lawrence or the surrounding area just for a short season or a long time as a student, we want to welcome you to find your church home here at Rev City. And hey, before, you, uh, before we rather get into God's word, and you can turn or click in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, allow me, as you're turning or clicking there, to just update you on a couple of things. I want to continue to communicate with you guys about the formation of Rev City Christian School. Just so excited about what the Lord is doing there. It's a, it's a process of faith, but God is providing. And you know, we began to hear and sense in our eldership as we just looked across the landscape of our culture where there, it's no longer just a secular education and public school system, but there really are, I believe, as a father, I'm a father um, of four kids, and we have foster kids as well, I'm a, so I'm a father, and as a father, I look around and I see some of the things that are underway in our school system, and it's no longer just a secular education. There really are some pretty evil things that are being perpetrated against the lives of our little ones. And so here's the thing, we at Rev City, we don't wanna just see the negative or see the problem, we wanna be a part of the solution. And for some of you, that might be engaging in the public school system. I believe that for it to begin to change, we need believers, kingdom-minded believers, to step up and step in and to, and to run for the school board and to lead the PTA or whatever that would be for you. We need to be engaged. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. So this is not about us building a fortress of holy solitude from the world. What it is about is our youngest kids, it's about taking our kindergarten through third graders and it's about us partnering with parents to give them an atmosphere that's free of some of those agendas for them to learn and excel and achieve in an atmosphere that's unapologetically Christ-centered and faith-based. To help them to understand and begin to discover while they're learning science and math and history, to understand that we can, we can introduce those things in a biblical context, in a biblical worldview, they can begin from an early age to know that they are created by God uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully for a purpose in God and begin to prepare them to whatever it looks like for the future of Rev City Christian School, if it remains K through third, great. We'll, we'll just hold it like this before the Lord. If, there's, if we add grades in the future, whatever, we don't have any plans except just to be faithful now with what God has entrusted to us now. And I tell us often that faithfulness with the now of God is always, it's always the pathway to the new, the next, and the more of God. So we're just holding it like this before the Lord and trusting him. Some exciting things happening. Uh, we are re we're ordering curriculum and some furnishings this week. We've circled a date on the calendar based on our availability to hire the staff and get the curriculum in place. The first day of school will be Wednesday, September 8th. We've also begun hiring staff. We continue to interview some staff for a couple more positions that need to be, or continue to interview applicants for a couple more positions that need to be filled. But I'd love to um, uh, encourage you with a couple of the first hires that we made. Betsy Hammer, wife of Nathan Hammer, who is our media director here at the church. They're on vacation today and will be for a couple more weeks, but uh, she has accepted the opportunity to become a teacher in the school, so we're excited about that. She has teaching experience. And we've also hired our first director of the school, a young man named Dusty Willard. Dusty's right here, and his wife Beth, and his, their son Finn. Dusty's, Dusty's an awesome leader, and Beth's an awesome woman. Their families are just committed to Christ. Dusty uh, received his MBA from K-State. But he most recently worked in the athletic department of KU. So he's got both camps covered. That's a smart hire right there. Someone say amen. But no, he's an awesome young guy. It's just been amazing to see him just begin to just put his hands to the vision that God's given us. He's an amazing leader. He's also really passionate about children and families and seeing kids discover their purpose in Christ and be educated to, to step into the purposes of God for their lives. So if you want some more information about the school, if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you're an educator who's interested, there's, there are, um, there's a lot of information that's on revcity.com school. You can go and you can check it out. Hey, one more thing before we get into God's word this, this morning. I wanna encourage you to make time in your schedule to be here on Wednesday night for the night of praise and worship. 
Listen, there's something special that happens when the people of God gather in kind of an extra way beyond Sundays and we create an opportunity for an extended time to just worship God and experience and encounter his presence. We're already praying for the Lord to speak prophetically to release words into people's lives that bring comfort and strength and and help them to move forward towards the purposes of God that God has for them and faith for their future. And so I'm just telling you, make time to be here Wednesday night. You will not regret it. And I understand you've got a lot going on, a lot on your plate, we all do. But I'm just telling you, make opportunity to be here on Wednesday night at 6.30. Young and old, come and be part of it. I just promise you, at the end of the evening, by 8 o'clock, you will leave here changed from the way that you came in. I just promise you, because we are going to encounter the Spirit of God. We're going to encounter the presence of God. I believe that God has some things that he wants to speak and release. I believe there's some healing and some consecration. There's some things that God wants to do on Wednesday night. So hope to see you there. Hey, did I tell you already to turn to Revelation chapter 12? If I didn't turn to Revelation chapter 12, turn or click there. We're going to continue in our series that I launched last week called This Means War. And the big idea is this, that there's a spiritual battle that many believers are unaware of that's being waged over your life, over your heart, over your mind, over your marriage, over your family, over our city, over our community, over our nation, over this church. There's a spiritual battle that's being waged. The Bible is very clear about it. But many believers are unaware or under-equipped of two realities. One, the reality that there is a spiritual realm. And according to Ephesians 6, it's very clear that Ephesians 6, you remember it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against spirits and principalities in heavenly places. So there's a spiritual battle over your life. If you as a man of God, a woman of God, a young person in God are, are, are battling in life just in the earthly realm, you're missing the mark. You're missing the opportunity to deal with things at a root level, at a deeper level that God, through Jesus Christ, has given you the opportunity. He's empowered you. He's enabled you. He's delivered you to a victory that you can begin to walk in the spiritual realm. And that same ch- chapter, Ephesians 6, says that, that our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. They're not the world's weapons. They're not knives, guns, and bombs. They're not not the, the, the methods of the world, but they are spiritual weapons that are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, for the destruction of the things that the enemy has launched against your heart, or launched against your mind, or is launching against your marriage, or is launching against your kids or your teenagers, this community, our city. So there's a pathway, there's two realities that we're going to dig into and uncover. There's a reality of a spiritual battle, and two, an even greater reality that we have through Christ Jesus is victory over the enemy. Victory over the enemy. This is not a devil glorifying series, it's a devil exposing series. It's a God honoring series and we're gonna dig into God's word and discover how to do spiritual battle, how to live life. And this is not just for for elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers, this is for every man, woman, and young person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be super spiritual or weird to walk in spiritual victory. There are, there are, there's a lifestyle, there are methods through prayer and through praise and through biblical community and through, through discovering the power of your words and beginning to speak life and not cursing and walking out those things that the, that the Lord has made possible and available for every person. That's how we walk in spiritual victory. And so the heart of this series is to really unpack some of these things so that in a greater way, in a new way, in a deeper way, you can begin to discover and enjoy and experience the victory of Jesus in every area of your life, in every area of your life, because that is the heart of God for you. And if you feel like you've been getting beat up on all sides and under attack, I'm telling you, there is an enemy who's trying to keep you from walking in the fullness of of the blessing of God and walking in the truth of God. But there is, the, there is the power of the blood of Jesus and the word of God that is available to you. You can live in victory over every scheme of the enemy. So we're going to dig into it in this series. Revelation chapter 12 is a kind of a key chapter that we're going to read probably a little bit less of every week. But we're going to read a substantial part of it again this week because it's really establishing the origins of spiritual battle. It's helping us to understand why It is that there's a spiritual realm, there's good and evil, there's darkness and light, and that's what we find in Revelation chapter 12. And I lost my top page here. Where did it go? What did I do with it? Hey, give it up for my beautiful wife right here. That's not the first time she saved my bacon right there. That's the truth. 
Is that a saying, save my bacon? Did I just make that up? That's a real thing, isn't it? <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, we find the origin of spiritual battle. Before we dig into God's word, would you allow me just to pray over our time in God's word? Pray over your heart, pray over this moment that we're here to do much more than, than sing a few songs, have a good church service. We're here to encounter the Lord. We're here to be strengthened in the word of God. We're here to grow as Christ followers. Jesus did not come and die on that cross, give his life to make you a church attender. He, he came to make you a, a disciple, a kingdom-building, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, devil-stomping disciple. He came to make you a follower of Christ. And so come on, let's lean in today. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Let's ask the Lord to take us to a new place, to a deeper place in him. Thank you, Lord, that that's your heart today through the preaching of your word, Lord. That's your heart today as your people are gathered here in this place in your presence, digging into your promises, which are found in your word. Your desire, Lord, is to strengthen us, to grow us, Lord, more into the image of Christ, to cause us and to help us, Lord, to grow as Christ followers and disciples. Lord, you said that you came to, to seek and save the lost, Lord. Any of us who are lost or drifting, Lord, today, we thank you that your heart is to find us and bring us home, God. You said that you came to destroy the works of the enemy wherever there's a, a, an, in, a, an attack being waged against any person that's in this room or joining us online in their mind, or their heart, their physical body, a relationship. Thank you, Lord, that today, Lord, that you desire to destroy the work of the enemy in our lives. And Lord, you also said that you came to, to give life, to give life, and not just life, but abundant life, life to the fullest. We thank you that today, Lord, that's what we open our hearts to receive, Lord, that you desire to connect us to the things, to the ways, to the patterns, to the promises that we can begin to live out in our life, not just on Sundays, but every day in a way that allows us to live just that very life, abundant life, the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. And so I thank you, Lord, for preparing our hearts to receive your word today and not just receiving your word, but then beginning to go and live it out in Jesus' name. And come on, all God's people said... Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 12. It's a little bit deep. I'm not going to do as quite as much digging in and explaining and kind of unpacking. I'll do it a little bit this morning. But if you missed last week's message, go back and listen to it. I take a little bit more time last week to kind of unpack some of the deep prophetic symbolism that's within this chapter. But what we find is the origins of the spiritual battle over our life because we find the fall of Lucifer from heaven. And so let's read this together. I'll read it. You follow along. Verse 1, Revelation 12. And John is writing from the island of Patmos where he's been exiled and it says, I witnessed in heaven a, an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun with the moon beneath her feet, a crown of 12 stars upon her head. She was pregnant, she cried out because of the labor pains and the agony of giving birth and most believe that this is speaking of the, the people of Israel who were the seed or the lineage of Christ. And it read on, verse three, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, threw them to the earth. It's speaking about Lucifer being cast down and bringing a third of the heavenly angels to the earth to now operate as demonic principalities. That's what this is speaking of. And it says, he stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth. It's speaking of the promised Messiah. And it, it says he was ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And you remember that, that scheme, that attack that was perpetrated through Herod and through the government of the day where the, the edict was given to kill all the babies of the land in anticipation of that being the season that the Messiah was going to enter in. And so out of fear and out of control, Herod had given this order to kill all the babies of the land. We see it written about here prophetically and it says, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod. And this is speaking of Jesus. And her child was snatched away from the dragon, caught up to God and to his throne, the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, and watch this, this is part of what we're going to dig into today. These are descriptors, these are not just pet names from God to the enemy of your soul. These are descriptors that God is giving for the enemy of your soul. And in the same way or a similar way that God has many names that describe his character and his nature, God is showing us something here. He's trying to help us to see these are names that have meaning and significance. 
And so through these names that God is ascribing to your enemy, he's trying to help us to see his nature, his patterns, his, his schemes that he is launching against us to separate us from God. And, and so reading on here, it, it says, the great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. And how many of you see that running rampant? People being deceived at every turn. And it says he was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. Come on, it's about to get good. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Mark that, we're gonna dig into that here in a moment. They have defeated him. They have defeated him. They, speaking of you and me, have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. You who live in the heavens, rejoice. Someone say rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil come, has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. In other words, knowing that he has been forever, eternally defeated and judged, but now he's been released to interfere in this earth for a time, for a season, with God's most precious commodity, and that's you. He can't get to God anymore, but he can meddle in your life. He, he, he can't. He can't win the battle in heavenly places because God has forever judged him and, and, and the victory has been won eternally. But in this age, he's meddling, he's interfering, he's coming and he's lying, he's deceiving, he's manipulating, he's leading astray the most precious commodity in the eyes of God and that is you and I, God's people. And it says, he, he knew that he had a short time and keep reading on here, verse 13, it said, when the dragon realized he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, and that's speaking about this whole wave of, think about, there's been no people, group, or nation that has suffered more persecution than the nation of Israel. And it says, but he is, she rather was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried a couple more verses, hang with me. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth, swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. So previously we saw that, she, he, that the enemy was trying to interfere with the child, the Messiah, the Christ, and here now we see he's been thrown down to earth and watch how this, this connects, the dots here. Now he's been thrown down to the earth declaring war against the rest of her children, which by the way implies that Jesus is your spiritual big brother who came down on the playground of life and punched the devil in the mouth when he was messing with you. He came down now and he's angry with the rest of her children, you and I, all, say all, who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. So this is saying that there's a, there's a spiritual battle, there's a, this is the origins of the spiritual battle. Satan, called Lucifer, was defeated and cast down, brought a third of the angels with him. And now, for a season, he's, he's going to be judged. We'll talk about this even more as we talk about, a, as I preach a series about the end times, specifically this fall. I'm putting all those notes together and praying, and I'm excited about bringing it to you. It's, it's one of the most encouraging series and messages that you can ever hear. But for this age, he is, he's meddling in the lives and in the affairs of you and I, trying to keep us from walking in the truth of God, the light of God, the hope of God, the freedom of God, and the goodness of God. There's a spiritual battle over your life. And listen, so many people are unaware of those two things, the reality of the spiritual battle and the greater reality of the victory that we have in Jesus. Barna, who does church research, did a study, and they found that 60% of professing evangelicals do not believe that there's a real literal devil but rather that the devil is a type or a shadow, a figure of evil. And the devil loves that because you won't stand up against someone that you don't believe is real. And is it possible it's the reason that so many people, even Christians, are getting beat up by the enemy? Because we really haven't embraced the reality of a spiritual battle, and if we don't embrace the reality of a spiritual battle, why would we pre prepare ourselves to endure and engage in that battle? And so let's dig into this. There's a, there's a verse that I want to extract from that chapter. 
And it's the verse where it talks about this great dragon, Satan, the devil. And remember I said that these are not just pet names from God for your enemy. These are descriptors that God has intentionally provided to you and I that show us a little bit more of the nature and the characteristics which dictate some of the schemes and the attacks, the methods that the enemy uses against you and I to try to keep us from walking in the fullness of God. So, so that the word Satan is the Greek word satanus, and it means adversary or opponent. And, 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 and Satan is, is opposing everything that is good, everything that is holy, everything that is God. If there's a promise from God, you better believe that the enemy is gonna be in that place opposing it. But we have the victory. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that there's not one square inch of neutral ground in all, uh, in all of the world. Every square inch is every second being claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And I'm just telling you, it's true. If you look at marriage, if you look at family, if you look at, at, at the, the, the culture of our young people, all the waves of deception and confusion that are coming against them, the enemy is on a full-scale attempt to try to separate people from the truth of God and the love of God. But as the men and the women of God as the husbands and the wives, as the mothers and the fathers, as the brothers and the sisters, as Rev City Church, come on, a church who's, who's, who's set on bringing revival to our city and revealing Jesus to the hurting and the broken and seeing them be revived to life in Christ Jesus, we don't have to take it laying down. We can begin to do what God's word has to say. We can begin to stand. Ephesians 6, finally, be strong. Someone say, be strong. Look at your neighbor, tell him to be strong. The heart of God is for you to be strong. If there's an area where you're weak or hurting or wounded or you're being pushed around or, or beat up, the, the heart of God for you in this series and in this season, this message today is that you would leave this place strengthened in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, heavenly realms. Therefore, because, therefore, meaning because this is true, because there is a spiritual battle, here's the part that we have to play. And here's, here's what will determine how much victory you walk in. Is are you willing to hear this and are you willing to do this? And it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Put on the armor of God. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth, the truth of God's word buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, guarding and protecting your heart because you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You're advancing the gospel and sharing Jesus with others. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all, somebody say all, the flaming arrows of the evil one, taking the helmet of salvation which guards your mind and the sword of the spirit, which is the offensive weapon and is the word of God. And verse 18, and pray always on all occasions in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers and requests. That means it's okay to pray for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> It's okay to pray for, it's, for, you can even join me in praying for my Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott's shoulder right now. Come on. All kinds of prayers, it says. All occasions. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for God's people. Stand firm. Take up. Put on the full armor. Man, is there someone today where there's something, there's a, there, there's a chink in your armor, there's a place where you've laid something down that God is calling you in this season to pick back up and to put back on, to guard your heart, to guard your mind, to begin to move again, move forward once again, because the church is called to be a forward-moving, kingdom-advancing, kingdom-building, devil-stomping enterprise. Jesus didn't come to build a social organization and much of the church at large and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I don't like being negative, Nancy. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that the church is doing and advancing in many orphanages and hospitals and things and missions and people that have been touched and reached by the church. So I'm a pro-church guy. I mean, really, I am. 
but the church at large many, in many places, in many ways, has lost sight of our original mission and our mandate. And we become more involved and invested in bingo nights and bake sales. And I'm about those things, if you, if you start one or have one, invite me, I'll be there. But the church was built to be. The church was not built for bingo night and bake sales, the church was built for war. For spiritual war, for spiritual battle. And, and, and Jesus said it so clearly to us, but we tend to miss it. When he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some Jeremiah, some think you're a, a, a prophet. And, and they, he said, but who do you say that I am? And that's the most important question that you'll answer for all of eternity. Who do you say that Jesus is? And remember what happened? Peter spoke up and, and like, like it was Peter's nature to do. And he said, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And, and I call you Peter. I change your name. Come on. How many of you are grateful that God has changed your name? You once were known as something and now you're known as something different. And he said, I'll change your name. I'll change your name. I call you Peter. And on this rock, and Peter wasn't really the rock, the rock was the revelation of who Jesus was to Peter and is to you and I. On this rock, what did he say? I will build my church. And then what did he say? He established right from the start. I mean, get this, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna build my church. This is who I am. Some people think I'm a good person or a prophet or a religious figure, but I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the only one who can come and save your soul and make you new. And he said, because I'm that, because of that revelation on that rock, he said, I'll build my church. And then watch what he said. He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. Who? The church. We were built for war, not bingo nights and bake sales. We were built for spiritual battle. Right from the start, Jesus, Jesus associates the building, the launching, the formation of his church, and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And here's a little secret. Gates are static. They do not move. I've never seen gates chasing someone down. Gates are a static thing that are, that are built and constructed and put in place to try to keep people in bondage from something or keep people from being able to go out. And he said, you're gonna be a moving, forward-moving, kingdom-building, devil-stomping movement of God's holy love. The church, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we haven't done anyone any favors not letting them know that there's gonna be a spiritual battle. But you're gonna win if you do what God's word has to say. You gotta put on you gotta put on the armor of God. You know, when God's word talks about put on a garment of praise, you know, for a spirit of, he of heaviness, and, and, and here's, here's what I believe he's saying is you get to choose what you wear. He, he's, he's furnished the closet, but every day when you get up, you, get a, you have a decision to make about what you're gonna put on and what you're gonna wear out into your life, out into your workplace, out into your school, into the university. You have a choice about what you're going to wear. And he says, put on the armor of God. And if you'll put on the armor of God, you'll be able to stand firm. And when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to continue to stand firm. There's gonna be a battle and you're gonna win. There's gonna be a battle over your marriage if you'll see God, if you'll turn to God, you're gonna win. There's gonna be a battle over raising your kids to know God and serve God and be kingdom building, advancing young people of God, world changers for Christ. There's gonna be a battle over that, but if you'll turn to God, if you'll pray, if you'll fast, if you'll worship, if you'll stay in spiritual community, if you'll do the things that God's word encourages us to do, you will win every battle. No, it, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Someone ought to say amen. So, so, so let's back up and extract that, 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 that verse. Verse nine, the serpent called the devil or Satan. And, and, and say, Satan is the Greek word satanus. I mentioned that opposer or adversary. The devil is the Greek word diablos. And here's what it means. Literally that word, what it means, we've translated it and we just say devil, but what they would have been saying when they used the word diablos is accuser or slanderer. Accuser or slanderer. So really, I mean, that's one of the common words that we use, probably the most common word we use for the enemy of your soul is, is devil, the devil. And every time you say it, you're saying the accuser or the slanderer. Why is that significant and important? Because God is a God of relationship. And nothing undoes or hinders relationship like gossip, accusation, and slander. 
And he's always, Satan is always looking to accuse you to the relationships that matter most to God and thus should matter most to you. He's accusing you to God. And we'll read it here in a minute. He's accusing you to your spouse. He's accusing you to your friend. He's accusing you one to another. And he accuses you to yourself with schemes of condemnation about your past, guilt, shame. That spirit that comes and says, can God really use you if they really knew who you really were, where you really been? It's the spirit of Diablos, a false accuser, one given to slander. Everywhere where there's a relationship that is powerful, that is intended of God to, to bring redemptive purpose and love into your life, you better believe that the spirit of Diablos is going to show up on the scene to try to divide and separate and lead to divorce in those relationships. And here's the unfortunate truth. The closer, the stronger, the more power, potential, and promise that's tied up in the relationship, the greater the opposition generally. It's why marriage is under such attack. It's why the church is so divided. We're the most divided, disorganized, ununified organization in the history of the world because of the slander and the accuser. God's a God of relationship. The, the, the more powerful, the more important, the more potential is tied up in the relationship. Here's what I mean by that. I, I'm not sure that the devil is too worried. I'm not sure he's coming and whispering in your ear. I'm not sure that he's trying to deceive and divide you from the relationship that you have with the checker over at Walmart. The one that you encounter every three or four days as you're going in to get your stuff and you exchange pleasantries with, it's a good relationship. It's a good to have a friendship. It's good to start to encourage them and shine the light of Jesus to them. But the enemy's not after that relationship, but you better believe he's after the relationship you have with your spouse. Because he knows if you can keep that marriage together and you can endure and you can survive the hardships and the difficult seasons and listen, if you've, if you've gone through divorce, there's redemption, there's grace. God, God can take any puzzle that's been broken and scattered and fractured and he can put it back together again. There's hope and there's grace and there's mercy for you. But for those of you today who are in marriage and you're going through the battle and you're going through the fight, you need to hear something today. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Because what you see right now, the real pain, the real difficulty, the real challenge, the real adversity, the real unforeseen things, you're just seeing this much of the, of the thing that God is writing, the story that God is writing in your life. Because he sees and the devil knows that if you could keep that family together and you could keep those kids in the church and you could keep them serving God, he knows what is gonna happen is there's generational blessing and there's heritage of faith that's extended and, 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 and passed along to generation, to generation, to generation, to generation, to generation, to the grandkids and the great-grandkids and their grandkids and great-grandkids that you might never see with your earthly eye, but you'll see from a place of eternity, your marriage is worth fighting for. Man, who am I preaching to today? You need to hear that there's gonna be a battle but you're, and you're gonna win, but you're gonna have to roll up your sleeves and get with God. And you're gonna have to be willing to be real with God. When we get real with God, it's not when he finds out about the struggle. It's when we begin to apprehend the grace to begin to win the battle, experience the victory, cut off the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. It's the spirit of Diablos. Accusation, slander, gossip. Proverbs 6 says this, there are six things the Lord hates. I know it's a strong word, but, but the Lord hates things, and there's things that as Christians we ought to hate. I hate racism, I hate molestation of children, I, I, I hate terrorism. There's a lot of things that we ought to hate. And it says there's six things the Lord hates, yet seven are an abomination to him. And, and watch what it says, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil. And catch this, a false, these, are the, these are the six things that the, that the Lord hates. A false witness who speaks lies, and catch this, and one who sows discord among the brethren. There's a lot of things that he could have written there, he could have wrote there. He said, I hate it when discord is sown amongst the brethren. Now, whoo, you look around our culture today and there are, it's a minefield of division. It's a minefield of disappointment. It's a minefield of offense. And you know that it's the spirit of Diablos working because 
The subject matter changes, but the outcome is the same. What do you mean, Pastor T? Well, in one season, it's racial. It's black versus white or black versus brown. And in another season, it's masked versus unmasked or vaccinations versus non-vaxxers. I mean, there's always an issue. There's always a point of contention. And the heart of it all is always the spirit of Diablos looking to try to divide the people of God. Because if he can divide us, he can keep us from moving forward. He can keep us from experiencing and releasing the fullness of the victory and the joy and the peace and the power and the promise that he has entrusted us, the church of Jesus Christ, with. If he can keep us fighting over these trivial things, he can keep us from preaching the eternal gospel. And we won't see it the same. You'll see some things differently than me. Let's just, let's just accept that. And I appreciate that you have convictions and I have convictions, but can we in the midst of maybe our disagreement on some things that are, that are trivial and some things that are temporal because this too will pass, can we agree that when that storm blows over that we should not allow the spirit of Diablos to cause us to curse one another or have rejected one another. We ought to come out on the other side still standing and unified over one baptism, one body, one spirit, one blood, one savior, one Jesus, one church. the Bible has some things to say about how to, how to come against, how to win the battle against the accuser, the slanderer, the spirit of gossip that tends to enter in. And Ephesians 4 verse 26 says this, it says, be angry and do not sin. I love this because basically what it establishes is that anger in and of itself is not sin. You could be angry with someone. I think you can even be angry at or with God. It says, but be careful what you do in that moment. It says, be angry. Be angry. I mean, there's some things you're going to go through, unexpected, unforeseen things that are going to cause that emotion to rise up. But it says you can be angry and you cannot sin. And reading on, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, he's saying deal with the issues of the day while there's grace to deal with them that day. Don't shove it down. And I'm not talking about sometimes it's good to just kind of take a, take a break from the argument, you know, and cool off a little bit. But what it's talking about is don't allow today's disappointments to become tomorrow's resentments. Because most times when there's a disappointment, I mean something that you heard, something that they said, whatever, there's a grace. If you'll just look to go to them, send a text, make the call, find a way, take them to coffee and say, hey, can I share with you? You might not have meant, or maybe it didn't come out the way you thought it was supposed to come out, or maybe what I heard was told that you said or thought or, thought or did or whatever isn't exactly what happened or what you meant to say, and you, you present it in the way that the Bible says that we're to do in Matthew 18, which says to go to them privately first. And if they don't listen to you when you go to them privately, Matthew 18 is where you can find this. It says, take a few other believers with you. If they don't respond to it then, then that's where you can go to the church leadership and say, I need your help. I've got a, a fence or a divide in a relationship and we haven't been able to repair, repair the breach. But most times if you'll go to them and you'll say, man, brother, can I just share with you that thing? I just, can you help me understand? I, I, I can't help but just be, it's, it's, it hurts. Most times in that moment where there's still the grace, where, there's, where it's fresh, where it hasn't festered or become an infection and it hasn't become a deep-seated root of bitterness, there's a grace for the Lord to begin to enter in in that atmosphere of grace and humility and reconciliation, which is the ministry that's been entrusted to us for the Spirit of God to enter in and begin to bring healing into that moment. Healing. It says, don't let, be angry, but don't sin and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Another thing that we can do is fill the gap with trust. Fill the gap with trust. If there's something that you hear, if there's something that was done, if there's a misunderstanding or a disagreement, until you have the opportunity to do what we just read in Matthew 18 and go to that person and work it out with them, fill the gap with trust. What do you mean, Pastor T? Well, the Bible says in Philippians that to think about whatever is lovely, to think about whatever is true, Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there's anything, even if you gotta work hard to find it, it says, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The mind is the battlefield for Diablos. 
And I'm just telling you, the enemy will enter in and he'll start to just speak those little lies. Well, they, they really don't love you. They really don't see you. They really don't get you. And he just feeds these lies into your mind. Listen, there's only one thing that the devil is described as being the father of, and it's the father of lies. It's the only thing that he's creative at. He's so creative with lying. He's described as the father of lies. He reproduces lies. He comes and he speaks something into your, 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 your heart or into your mind, and he's so creative at it. Sometimes he'll even create evidence to support the lie. He'll, 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 he'll present medical evidence to support the lie that the enemy is speaking to your, to your heart or to your mind that you're not gonna live a long life. You're not gonna see the thing come to pass. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you that you married the wrong person and then he'll present evidence that you married the wrong person when really it's just a lie. Remember what he did, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, it bears repeating in this context. When Joseph brothers, Joseph's brothers took him and they sold him into slavery and they threw him in the pit. Remember what they did? They went back to Joseph's dad and they lied to Joseph's dad. They said he's dead. And remember what they did? They presented the coat of many colors and they had taken blood and put it on the coat as evidence, false evidence that Joseph was dead. Joseph really wasn't dead. Your marriage really isn't dead. Your future really isn't dead. Your purpose really isn't dead. Our nation isn't really dead. It might be dormant, but it's just sleeping and there's an awakening that's coming as the people of God begin to pray and begin to worship and begin to dig into God's promises and begin to step up and speak out and begin to reveal Jesus to people. Come on, if you believe it, someone ought to say amen. amen. So he's accusing us to God. He's accusing us to one another. He's accusing you to God. You know how I think that looks? I think that looks like he's, and we know he has access to God because we see it in the book of Job where the enemy would go back and forth. And remember he said, but you blessed Job and you protected Job. And if you removed your hand of protection, surely Job would curse you. And so he's going back and forth. You know how I think it sounds something like this. Did you really send Jesus, your one and only son, to give his life for him in my darkest moment when I've really blown it? And I've done the thing that I constantly say I don't want to do again. And he's up there and he says, do you see? Did you really, did you really send Jesus for her? Did you really send Jesus for them? Look at them, they're bickering over the color of the carpet and the paint on the walls and this and that and the other. Did you really die for them? And you know what I appreciate is that while that's true, that it says that he's accusing, he's, he's, he's constantly He's constantly accusing us to, to, to God. This, the, there's also a truth, and that's that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And it says that Jesus is mediating, that Jesus is interceding. What it looks like is the devil is coming and is lying and he's deceiving, and, and Jesus is right there at the right hand of God interceding for you and for me. Jesus is right there saying, you know what, that might be true, but remember what, how we set it up? Their righteousness and their right standing with you, God, is not dependent on their behavior or their good works or, or how much they can kind of scrape something together. It's all dedicated. It's all dependent. It's all predicated on my shame blood and now because I am between God and man forever making a way for there to be peace between God and man he no longer sees you even in your darkest moment through your sin your guilt your shame and condemnation he sees you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ the enemy is accusing and Jesus is defending we know who won the argument on the cross of Calvary He accuses us against ourselves, beats us up with our past, our inadequacies, our imperfections. There's a conviction that comes by the Spirit that leads us out of a dark place and into the goodness of God. There's a spirit of conviction that leads us out of sin and aligns us with the will of God. But don't confuse that with condemnation, which is attempting the enemy's attempt to get you stuck. Conviction is leading you out. Condemnation is trying to get you stuck in the, in the dark moment, in the difficult season, in the place of pain. Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There's no condemnation. I mean, isn't that good news? There's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. What shall we say in response to these things? Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. You know, Jesus can intercede because he's experienced it. Matthew chapter four, you remember that Jesus encountered the devil himself. And remember the devil was trying, he came and he tempted Jesus in his moment of weakness. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the flesh, in the natural. He was, he was weak, he was tired, he was weary, and that's exactly the moment that the devil will come in. And he came in and you remember what the devil said. He said, if you are the son of God, remember that's how he would preface everything that he said to, to Jesus. Well, you know what's powerful and interesting and it's, it, it's eye-opening is that if you turn the Bible one chapter back to Matthew chapter three, what you see is the account of Jesus being baptized. And do you remember what happened as Jesus came out of those baptismal waters? The voice of the Father from heaven resounding said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you turn the page, one page to the right and the devil is showing up saying, are you really who you say you are? And so Jesus experienced it, he endured it, and he did it without stumbling so that now he could stand in the place of eternity at the right hand of God the Father. And come on, he's your big spiritual brother who is, who is there interceding and praying and petitioning to God for you. That's good news. Would you stand to your feet and let's receive what God wants to do. I wanna minister to several groups of people and give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to take what's been preached to you today and, and, and convert it into your life in real ways to set you free from some things that you might be struggling with today that you would leave here different than you came in. And Lord, I just, I pray, Lord, for anyone who's dealing with condemnation, that the enemy maybe even is still using, I just felt in the nine o'clock service that, and I'll go ahead and release it, that, that there's maybe even someone that, there's something that happened 30, 40 years ago when you were at college. Bad choices, just sinful stuff that happened. The enemy is still using that moment to keep you on the sidelines of faith. And today, I, I just, I believe that the Lord reveals something because he wants to heal something. And right now, that scheme of condemnation going back even decades, back to that unfortunate moment, I declare it broken right now in the mighty name of Jesus. It no longer will have an effect and an ability to hinder your forward motion in Christ. Come on, if that's you, just quietly right there, just receive it and say, thank you, Lord, that you see, and thank you, Lord, that that season is over. Thank you, Lord, that that's done. Come on, anyone else, if you're dealing with condemnation, that the enemy beats you up because of your failures, because of your misgivings, because of the dark moments, because of the difficult seasons, right now, just receive it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit of Diablos has been coming against you to accuse and to slander and to deceive you. Today, in the name of Jesus, we declare that scheme broken off of you, that you would in this day, in this hour, begin to, in a new and a fresh way, run forward in faith towards everything that Jesus came and died and rose again to deliver to you and to make possible for you and through you. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I pray over relationships where the, the spirit of Diablos has come in and he's accused and he's slandered and he's created divide. He's created strife. He's created doubt. And right now, Lord, over marriages, over homes, over extended families, over fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, wherever there's relational strife and division right now because of the spirit of Diablos, right now in Jesus' name, we come against it like your word says. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose will be loosed. And so right now we bind the spirit of Diablos that's coming to try to separate relationships that matter most to you. And Lord, we pray 
that in this moment, in this hour, in this season, Lord, that there would begin to be a grace. Visit that, those relationships. That there would begin to be soft hearts that would return, Lord, where forgiveness can be extended and received, Lord. I pray that there would be testimonies, Lord, that there would be relationships that were seemingly far lost, too far gone, could never be restored or redeemed or made new, Lord, that even those relationships, because your word says what's impossible for man is possible for God, that even those relationships, Lord, that right now, and it might take a while, and I want to encourage you to begin to be sensitive if that's, if you're in one of those relationships, begin to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he would begin to give you your marching orders, the way to pray, the, the timing of how to reach out and begin to engage with the, the family member or the one who you're estranged from, and, and just trust God as you begin to seek him, as you begin to pray in a new way with maybe some fresh faith, that it might take some time, but there are going to be some testimonies of amazing reconciliation and redemption of relationships, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, if you'll just receive that on behalf of whoever it was for, can we thank the Lord and just give him a clap of praise in this place and, and just faith, let faith stir. All right. All right, speaking, speaking of relationships restored, the most important thing we do, Rev City, every week, regardless of what we're preaching on, is give people the opportunity to have a relationship with their heavenly Father restored to them through Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel. We drifted from God, we rebelled against God, and Jesus came to make a way to lead us home to a relationship that transcends religion. He's not about religion. And so listen, if that's you today, you're in this room, you're joining us online, maybe you once knew God, maybe you're a prodigal son or daughter, you once were in the church, you've drifted or you've made some bad choices, or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and received what it feels like to have all, I mean all, every last drop, every ounce of your sin and your guilt, your shame removed off of you, washed clean, made whole, made new, given a fresh start in life. If that's you or anywhere in between right now, don't wait, don't delay. This is your moment. Lift your hand high towards heaven. Lift your hand high towards heaven. Just say, Father, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need a fresh start. I need a new life. If you're online and you're joining us, I wanna encourage you, even if you're all by yourself, it's powerfully important that you would maybe take time to stand off your couch or pull over the car and lift your hand towards heaven because you are not responding to a preacher. You're responding to your Father. And this is just an outward sign of an inward work. And if you lifted your hand, you can lower it. Here's what we're gonna do. We do it every week. We're gonna pray this prayer together. We're gonna pray this prayer together. And we do it for two reasons every week. And one, it's because the precious people who came home to Jesus today, we wanna to quickly just show them, you're not in this alone. There's a spiritual family that wants to come alongside you. There's a church family that wants to encourage you and help you and minister to you and help you get set free of some things that have held you back or hindered you so that you can begin to run the race that Christ has died to give you. And we do it for a second reason, and that's because even as we're growing and maturing in our faith, even as we're growing in our ability to stand in the victory of Jesus, we realize that everything God could ever do in our life is all built on the foundation of unmerited grace. Unmerited grace. So come on, let's pray this together with people who responded to Jesus. Repeat after me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior, and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I couldn't pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly. I will never be the same. And then put your hands together with all of heaven. Hey, come on. Let's worship the Lord one more time together. Let's worship him together.